Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the psalm of David, um, the psalm that reveals to us your character and that you are with us and that you are near and reveals to us our identity that's based outside of our circumstances, that our identity can be rooted and founded in you. God, I pray that we would be able to have ears to hear and eyes to see you this morning, that we'd be able to hear and respond from you and that we'd walk out this morning transformed um, because your presence has come into a heart and that you have revealed some things in us that you would like to change, that you'd like to transform in us and that we'd walk away a person of peace, a person of rest, um, a person that is made more in your likeness this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the Psalms. I love the Psalms because I believe in the Psalms we have a really place where we just get to be honest. Like the Psalms is the place where the whole person, the head, the heart, the mind of the person can go and commune with God and wrestle with God and be honest with God. We can be frustrated, we can be angry, we can be angsty, and we can also bring our gratitude and praise. It's this weird mix where we get to bring all of ourselves, our, the good side, the bad side, the broken side, the ugly side, and we just get to bring it all to God and say, God, meet me here. Meet me where I'm at. And God replies with an outstanding yes. Yes, I'll meet you there. I am here and I'm with you in all that you're going through, all that life is through. And what we find is that when we encounter God, when we commune with him, when we bring our head, our heart, and our mind to him, and we commune with him, what we find is that we encounter the living, breathing God, the God who made us, the God who created us, the God who set purposes and foundations of the world for us from the beginning of time. We meet him, and we're blown away by him. We see this transformation happen in the Psalms as people encounter God, and they're transformed because he's our maker and he invites us into deep relationship with him. And it's because his character is good. His character is one of peace. It's one of patience. It's one of kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you look at the fruits of the Spirit throughout the Bible, this is the fruits of our God. This is who our God is. And we see this happen throughout the Psalms as we engage life. And we have this invitation from God that just says, come to me. Bring all of yourself to me. Bring all the stuff that you have to me. And let's hash it out and let's deal with it. And come and find that I am good and that I am near, and that I am with you, and that I am for you. And so I love the Psalms because it's just this beautiful picture of exchange where we come broken, and God just embraces us with his love and his grace and his mercy, and he says, yeah, come to me, child. Come to me. Come and know me, and you'll find rest for your soul here. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look kind of at Psalm 23 with new eyes this morning. I want us to maybe even look at it for the first time, because what I find is that there's some baggage that we carry around Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the most quoted psalm. 
But it's also the most quoted psalm because it's quoted most in times of great loss, great grief, and oftentimes at funerals. And so for some of us, Psalm 23, when we start to hear those words, it becomes an emotional trigger that brings us back to that place of grief and loss and hurt and pain and suffering because somebody brought Psalm 23 out in the middle of your grief and they bring it out because they want to center you. They want to encourage you. And it's a centering scripture. It's, a, it's one that centers us because it, it brings us to the reality of our identity not being found in our circumstances, but found in our God. But there's times in our grief where we're like, I don't want to be centered right now. I want to be undone. I want to be a mess. And so we use Psalm 23 sometimes as this band-aid in grief because we don't have any other words to say. And so we can just like want to reject it. And maybe for some of you, Psalm 23 is that. Psalm 23 is this place where you're just like, I just spit it out because it, somebody said it at the wrong time in the wrong place. And, and it's really hard to hear the goodness of God because it just brings me back to this plane of hurt and pain. And I want you to know that God is with you. He's with you in that pain. He's with you. If that's happening to you this morning, wrestle with God around that and ask him and invite him to come and continue to bring healing there. Continue to bring healing where there's loss, where there's pain, where there's hurt, because he sees you and he wants to bring healing, wants to be near to you through the Psalms, through his word. The other reason why I think Psalm 23 is hard to take in, sometimes hard to digest, is just, it just becomes rote, right? It's the thing that we've quoted the most. It's one of the most quoted passages throughout all the Bible. And so, you know, when Jane started saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, there's like a switch in your brain that just like turns off. You're like, I know this. When is she going to be done talking? All right, Psalm 23, got it. Um, when's the sermon going to be done? Because it's Psalm 23, and I got it. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to be able to approach Psalm 23 not from a place of pain and hurt and loss and mourning, nor do I want us to approach it from a place where it's like rote, just religious, Christianese language that we use in the church. And I want us to hear it new and afresh, as God would have it to speak to our hearts and our soul and our mind and meet us as our whole person. So I'm going to invite Jane back up, actually, and if we can put the words on the screen, and she's going to read it out loud to us again. And I just want us to like kind of reset and hear the words of the Lord this morning from Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks, Jane. So Psalm 23. When I look at Psalm 23, what I find is that is we find our identity. I find that it's primarily speaking about an identity of who we are and who God is and who God's character is. As we encounter life, as it comes to us, and it's highs and low times, what we find is that we find is that there's an identity to be found in the Lord that's consistent and that is found outside of our circumstance. The reality is that so much of our life and so much of our identity and some of the, sorry, so many of the actions that we take 
are because we're trying to find our identity in something. We're trying to find our identity in what other people think of us, of how well we do our work, of how well we do our job. We talk about our relationships and our work life and successes and failures. Think about it. Whenever you ask someone how they're doing, they'll say good or bad based on the circumstances that are happening on their life. And they'll start talking about their relationships and the way relationships are going well. They're like, yeah, this, this has been a really good week because the circumstances in my week have been really good. And I can point to these relationships and these conversations and these successes at work and it's been a good week. Catch them on another week and they're like, oh, it's been a bad week. It's been a bad week because these relationships and these failures at work and these stresses and the kids and the finances and everything around us and we find our identity and we base whether it's a good week or a bad week based on the circumstances of the day. And I don't know about you, but I find this type of life exhausting to live. Because when I live this life that's, that's reactionary, that bases it on, is today a good day because of the people around me and the relationships around me, my success or my failures, what I have to do is I have to anticipate how everyone else is going to react when I do something. And what we end up doing is we end up guarding our hearts and we end up guarding our lives in a way that says, I'm going to preempt any bad thing that can come. And so I'm going to just try and live my life in a way that everyone around me is happy. And if I can live my life in a way that everyone around me is happy, then at least they won't be mad at me, right? And if they're not mad at me, then we're good. It's been a good week. But I don't know about you, but that's, that's really exhausting. But this is how I live my life. One of the number one phrases that comes out of my mouth throughout the week is sorry. Even over things that I'm not in control of. Somebody's having a bad day, things are starting to go sideways for somebody because of the circumstances in their life, and I feel like I could have like 1% or 0.5% like responsibility around how they're doing or how they're feeling that day. I will just, I'll, I'll apologize. Be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've had people come up to me like, Justin, why, why are you saying sorry? Like, that's not your fault. I'm like, thanks, thanks for naming that. Because in this moment, I made it my fault. I made your problem my problem. And so we do this thing. We false burden bear. We try and control situations because we just want everyone else around us to be, to be okay. We just want to be okay. And that's what happens when we're mourning and we're really hurting and somebody comes with Psalm, 120, Psalm 23 trying to comfort us. It's, like, it's just us. Like We don't know how to do like hurting. We don't know how to be with people that are in mourning, and we just want to be like, can we just get to okay? Can we just get to okay so we can all just be okay? Like, we're really uncomfortable with this place that I believe that God wants to come and minister to us and set us free. And so what I believe is that what if there is a way that our circumstances didn't have to control how we were doing? What if there is a way that we could find our identity outside of having to strive and prove and test and manipulate and control and work and fall in bed exhausted and wake up in the morning exhausted, that we could live a life that says, you know what, I'm secure today no matter what happens around me. No matter what your reaction is, I'm going to be okay at the end of the day. I believe that's the freedom that Jesus wants for us, and I believe that that's the thing that Psalm 23 is inviting us into. It's that level of freedom where the world could just fall apart around us and we could cling onto Jesus and we could say, I have all that I need right here and he will provide for me. And even though everything is sideways in my life and I don't understand it and there's pain and there's hurt and there's suffering and there's loss, I trust that God is good. 
I trust that God is near. And I trust that God is with me. And he will sustain me and he will support me through it. And so this morning, I just want to kind of go kind of chunk by chunk through Psalm 23 and talk about it and just see the truths that God wants to encounter with us as our head, our heart, and our soul and our mind come together and mingle with God and commune with him, how he wants to talk to us. And I I just want to have ears open this morning to hear from him and respond, because I believe that that's what Psalm 23 is. It's this constant invitation to know the Lord, to hear from him, and allow him to lead and to be able to respond in wisdom in the ways that he is leading us. And so the passage begins with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Now this is an identity phrase that we would initially think is about us, but it's actually about our God. Our God is a shepherd. Our God is not a God who is far away. Our God is not a God who set the earth into motion and then walked away and said, good luck. But our God is the God who comes near and who sees us and who loves us and wants to shepherd us. Now, the work of shepherding is difficult because sheep are dumb. (laughs) And sheep are by nature difficult. But the goal of the shepherd is to watch over his sheep, care for his sheep, provide for his sheep, Make sure that a sheep are well taken care of. Make sure that they're not sick. Make sure that they're not running away. And if one does deviate away from the herd and away from the pack, that shepherd will leave the 99 behind and he will go after the one and bring it back rejoicing with it on its shoulders. He will carry the lamb on his shoulders back to the herd and says, welcome home. Welcome home. This is the character of who our God is. Our God is a shepherd who will go after us, who will seek us, who wants to take care of us, who wants to provide for us. And he's near and among us. And the beautiful thing is that our God is a God who's not far off, but he's a God who shepherds. And if you're going to be a shepherd, guess what the shepherd does? The shepherd actually names a sheep. The shepherd gives each sheep its name, and each sheep knows the name, knows the voice of the shepherd. And so our God is the God who speaks. Our God is the God who speaks to you and me, and he wants to speak to us daily. He wants to speak to us in daily, everyday life. And in John chapter 10, verse 27, it says this. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish for no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is who our God is, and this is the relationship that our God wants to have with us. And that is exciting, that our God is near, and he's speaking, and he wants to be in deep, intimate relationship with us. Now this This phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, it's also an identity piece about us. It says something about you and me. Because David, the psalmist, if we read along and if we pray this prayer of David and we say it out loud with him, the Lord is my shepherd, what we are essentially saying is that I am placing myself under the rule and the guidance and the wisdom of my God. I'm going to allow him to lead me wherever he sees fit, and I am going to trust him wherever we go. And that's the rule of the sheep. If you're going to be a sheep, you hear the shepherd's voice, 
And the goal is to listen to him and to follow him and trust that he's going to lead you to the places that you need to go when you need to be there. And I believe that this is what our Father wants to do to us, is that he wants to speak to us. He wants to confront things in our lives. He wants to nudge us. He wants to move us along the path. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. He wants to give us wisdom that is found in his word, that's found in his community, that's found in his relationship with us. And he wants to guide us through this thing that's life, that has its ups and its downs and its in and its outs and its sideways. And so the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him to lead you this morning? Do you trust him to be your shepherd and your guide? Now, the second phrase on this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, this is when my brain would turn off, right? Like, I would be like, the Lord is my shepherd. I know this. I was reading it, and I was blown away by this passage, that I shall not want. Because for so long in my like sideways brain, and maybe this was you, maybe it's not, but maybe it's just me, but I read shall not want, and I read a command. Like, it's a command. The Lord is my shepherd. You don't get to want. If you want, you're breaking the law. You're breaking the rules. The wanting doesn't get to exist here. But I think the, the translation here isn't super helpful because I, this, the word shall just does a thing in our brain that just gets us to command, right? But a b- different way that we could read this passage is that the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. And this is what the passage is getting at. When the Lord is our shepherd and he is leading us and he is guiding us, it's not that we shall not want. What is that? That we shall not have lack. So there'll be no reason to want, And to me, that made all the difference in the world. To be able to see the Father, to see the Lord as my shepherd, who provides every good and perfect gift from heaven, who leads us and guides us with his wisdom and his grace and his might through good times and bad, that even in the bad times where we feel alone, that there would not be a lack because we would still have the Lord as our shepherd and we'd be able to trust that his character is good and that he has good plans for you and me through this life. We have a good shepherd who not only sees our needs, but anticipates our needs. You see, the thing about a shepherd is that they would have this region of land that they would kind of move the sheep from plot to plot to. And they would know when there was bearing fruit in this part of the land and when there was bearing fruit in this part of the land. And they would take the sheep there and they would feed it and they would make sure that all the needs were met and then they would move the sheep to another part and then they would make sure that the needs were met over here. And what they would do is they'd prevent overgrazing over here. The shepherd was not just the tender of the sheep, but he also tended to the care of the earth and of the planet to make sure that the resources weren't gobbled up, but so that they could come back and that the resources could renew themselves and there could be new fruit and new life again in that space as he led his sheep from space to space around the area of land that he would shepherd around. And what we see over time and throughout scriptures is that our God is a good shepherd. He sees our needs and he meets them, even from the very beginning. So the very beginning, we have Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve fail. They sin. They eat the fruit. They're cast out of the garden. They're naked. And they're full of shame. And what... God does is that he sees them in their nakedness. He sees them in their shame. He sees how pitiful they are. And he has grace and compassion and mercy on them. And he's a good shepherd. He's like, you know what you guys need? You need some sufficient clothes. These leaves, 
they're, they're not offering much protection. They're not really cutting it out. So how about I make some clothes for you? And it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's Genesis chapter 3, I believe it's verse 23, where God makes clothes for his people. He makes clothes for Adam and Eve so that they can be warm, so that they can be protected, and so that their shame could be covered. God was in the business of covering our shame from the moment that we sinned. That's the good shepherd that we have. Then we see in Exodus, as God sees his people enslaved, and he's like, I hear your cry, and he's like, I'm going to set you free. And so he sets them free, and he sends them Moses. And then in the Old Testament, he sends them the prophets to warn them and to guide them and to lead them. And then in the New Testament, he sends us Jesus. He sees us in our need and our sin and our shame and our guilt, and he sends us Jesus. And Jesus, as he's with us, he teaches us. And he says, look, guys, stop worrying. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what will you, you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? You can definitely take some hours from your life. You can definitely lose some sleep. But we're never adding life or gaining life in our anxiety, in our worry, in our fear. And the way that I think of anxiety is that it's just this, it's this imagination of the future where there is no God. That's how I best define anxiety. Anxiety is this imagination of the future where God is not with us, where God is not a good shepherd, where God is not going to provide, where he's not going to come through. But God sees us. He says, consider the lily of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will not much more he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek the good shepherd who calls you his own and who seeks to lead you and guide you. What I find is that there's a lot of things in my life that I come to God with closed hands and I'm, I demand of him. He's like, God, I want these things. Why are you not doing these things? Why are you not giving me this and that and these things over here? And this is where the invitation of the Psalms is beautiful because he says, come to me. Come with all of that. Come with your fists ready to go. And what I find is that as we commune with the living God who loves us and who has mercy on us, who has compassion on us, what he ends up doing is he begins to show us places where he has provided and where he has been faithful and what I find is that the more we kind of war with God and wrestle with him is that these closed fists, these closed demands, they end up opening up to open hands. And it's when we get to this place of open hands with God that we're able to receive something from him. Instead of demanding that he does something, he wants us to come to him and come to where we end up with open hands and say, God, give to me the good gifts that you have for me. Give to me the good gifts that you have to provide for me. And sometimes, and a lot of times, it doesn't come the way that we think. Sometimes it does. 
But a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times if we come in and we're like, God, I need this car and I need this paycheck and I need this and I need that, he will end up opening our arms and he will end up filling our hands with mercies and graces and gifts that we never anticipated that probably don't look like those things that we went to with our closed hands about. He ends up giving us new gifts, surprising gifts, gifts that lead to life. What I realize is that human beings is that we are really bad at knowing what we want. A lot of times we're like, I know what I want, I know what I want. It's like, no, you think you know what you want. Ever, anyone ever think you knew that you wanted something and then you got the thing and you're like, man, that, that's not actually what I wanted. That's, that's not what I thought I was saying yes to. That's not what I thought we were agreeing to. I thought I wanted this thing, but whoa, I didn't realize that it came with all this other stuff. You see, our God is good. Our God knows our wants. He knows our needs better than we do. And we need to come to him with open hands. And that's where we can advance in the psalm where it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters, and restores my soul. You see, the good thing that God gives us is Sabbath rest. He invites us into this place of rest with him, this place of knowing him, this place of being near to him. And so it's in this place of Sabbath where we are able to just stop striving, where we, have to, we can stop proving ourselves. So there's this place that if you're warring with your identity, if you're trying to create your identity by making everyone else happy and holding the world up on your shoulders, Jesus invites us to come and rest with him, to come and lay down with him in streams of still water, to find rest for your soul, that he might restore you. You see, if we never took a break, if we never took the gift of the Sabbath that God gives us, we never have an opportunity to stop and breathe. We'd always have to be proving ourselves and we'd have to constantly be building something to say, hey, look at what I did. Look what I did. Am I awesome? Look at what I made. Can I sell it to you? Because I really need food today. This is the world we live in. But God says, come and find rest and take a breath and trust that in your inactivity, I will do more than what you ever could do today. To me, that's what the challenge of the Sabbath is, is that the Sabbath is come and find rest and come and stop. Just stop trying. Let down. Have a good cry if you need to. Come near to me and let me take care of you. And trust that I can do more in your downtime taking care of you than what you can do if you're productive 24-7 all the time. And what I find is that if we want to fight justice, fight for justice, we need to take a Sabbath. We need to take a break. We need to stop consuming if we're going to fight for justice. If we want to fight for peace in our world and in our lives, we need to stop. And we need to take a Sabbath. And we need to come near to the one who gives us peace. If you want the Lord to declutter and restore your soul, you need to stop and take a Sabbath and come near to him. If you want your identity to be found in something outside of the chaos of the circumstances that are whirling around you, you need to stop and come near to him and take a Sabbath. What I love about this line in the psalm is that it says, he makes me lie down. There's no option here. There's no choice here. It says, he makes me lie down in green grass. And this is what we do with our daughter all the time. 
So I have a 10-month-old daughter, and she loves waking up in the middle of the night, and she wakes up, and she stands, and she cries at her crib, holding on the crib. Ah! And what we do as she's doing that is we grab her, and we lay her down, and we put the pacifier in her mouth, and we put the blanket on her, and we go, shh, and then we run out of the room. <laughs> Five, six times a night. Wah! We're like, you just need to sleep. She's like, ah, and we just grab her, lay her down, put the pacifier in. We're doing this practice, lay her down, lay her down. She's standing up, we're laying her down. We make her lie down, and she goes to sleep. And that is true for you and me, too. As the Lord, we're standing there, we're screaming, I want to play! I want to do things! You don't understand how much I need to get done! He's like, shh, lie down, lie down, lie down. Here's a blanket. I'm with you. Take a rest. The Lord is good, and he invites us into Sabbath with him. The next chunk of scripture I want to take all at once, because I think it's important that it all comes together. And this is the part where we're going to talk about the valley of the shadow of death, all right? But we normally want to jump to that part, and we miss what's in front of it. And so what's in front of it is this. It says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness, For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, a lot of times we just want to get to the valley of the shadow of death because we know that part. We know what it is to have pain and suffering in our lives. And there might be places in your life right now where you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. And what I want you to know is that he is with you and that you have nothing to fear, and that he is going to provide for you, and that he has purposes for the path that he has you on. He has purposes for the path that he has you on as he's going through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I want you to know is that he might not have caused the valley of the shadow of death in your life, all right? This is where we have to realize that evil exists in the world, and people make evil choices, and there is wickedness in the world that cause valley of the shadow of death moments. But when those moments happen, what happens is we feel alone, we feel isolated, we feel insecure, we ask God, God, where are you? And God is near, even in that place is where he feels absent and far and distant. What I want us to see is that it begins with this idea that he leads me into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the Bible, wherever it says the word righteous, you can also substitute the word justice. So he leads us towards justice. And the reality is that if we're going to be a people of God who are walking towards justice, that means that there's going to be some injustice and some evil and some darkness that's going to have to be confronted in our world. We're going to have to walk through that stuff to bring righteousness and justice to the places where there has been evil and injustice. And so we're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death as he restores us and as he leads us to new life. And the thing is that the valley of the shadow of death is a real thing in shepherding, is that there would be a grassy place over here, and there would be a grassy place over here, but you'd have to walk through the valley. And as the shepherd led the sheep through the valley, oftentimes the terrain was treacherous, and they'd have to line up kind of one by one so you felt alone and vulnerable But the shepherd would be calling. He'd be using his rod. He'd be using his staff to guide and direct the way of the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. And in this place, there would be evil, all types of evil, 
all types of thieves and robbers and animals wanting to prey on the sheep. And so this movement from lying down in green pastures and still waters to the next place where there are going to be green pastures and still waters and rest again. But in order to not overfeed and just destroy this place with consumerism over here, we'd have to move to one place to the other. There's this place of the valley of the shadow of death. But the shepherd is with them. The shepherd is near. And the shepherd would be familiar with the route. He'd be so familiar with the route that as the sheep, you can know that my shepherd is with me. He goes before me. And normally they would shepherd in teams, so you'd have shepherds behind them, you'd have shepherds beside them, guiding them through the valley of the shadow of death. And you would know that my shepherd has been here before. Even though this valley, this darkness, this injustice, this pain, this suffering is new and it is raw and it is real to me, you can know that the shepherd has been there before. And we see that because God sends Jesus to us. And Jesus walks on this earth in righteousness, in justice, for the namesake of the Father. And that leads him to the cross, which is his valley of the shadow of death, where he confronts death head on. And all of the evil and all the injustice and all the wickedness in the world, he confronts it head on on the cross and he gives up his life. And in three days, he conquers death and is victorious over it. The shepherd has been there before. Amen? And he is able to walk us through our valleys of the shadow of death because he has conquered death. He has conquered evil. And so we can go before him and we can go with him and say, I know that I am protected by the Father. I know that there is chaos swirling around me. I know that everything is sideways and out of control, but I can trust the good shepherd because he has been here before and he knows the way. And he is here to minister to me. He's here to comfort me with his staff and with his rod. He's here to keep me on the path. And if I fall off the path, guess what he's going to do? He's going to come running after you to save you and to restore you back to his flock because that's who the shepherd is. That's who the father is. I don't know if you guys have ever led somebody who was going through a hard time or the difficult time. I've got a little bit of a story. It's not necessarily an emotional time as we think of valleys of the shadow of death moments. But in high school and throughout a small part of college, I would go to this mountain in North Carolina. And it was one of my favorite places on earth. It still is. It's in the Blue Ridge Mountains. We'd go and hike this mountain. And um, in college, kind of my junior year, I took some friends with me. We went to North Carolina. And we went and hiked this mountain. And on the top of the mountain, we start looking out, and you can see all around you, but you can also see all the clouds. And we look to the west, and there are some massive storm clouds brewing. And we're like, uh-oh, we did not look at the weather. So we're up here on this mountain, and there's a storm coming. And the last place you want to be where there's a storm coming in lightning is in the woods. And so I was like, we got to go. We got to get off this mountain now. And it's just getting dark. The sun is setting. The dark clouds are rolling in. We're like, I'm like, it's great that we're up here on this mountaintop. I'm glad we made it. We got to go right now. And so we start heading down the path. And it gets darker. And it gets darker. And the rain starts coming. And the people that I'm with, they're like, they're starting to freak out. And there's a couple whys in the path along the way. They're like, 
which way do we go? I'm like, it's this way. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, it's this way. And it gets darker and the rain starts and we're starting to get to the end and it's, it's getting so dark that we're having to hold each other's hands. We can still see, but we're just like, for the sake of safety, like no one's getting lost. We're holding on to each other and we're going to get through this on the end. And I have to keep turning my back to them. I'm like, trust me, I've been here before. Trust me, I've been here before. And they're not believing me right? Because it's raining, it's messy, there's thunder, and we're starting to run as fast as we can without tripping. And we finally get to the clearing, and they're like, ah. and we get in the car, and we're soaked, and we're wet. And I was like, we made it. They're like, we did. They're like, thanks for leading us. I was like, yeah. I was like, trust me, I've been here before. So as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, hold on to God. Hold on to the shepherd who has been there before. He loves you, and he wants to lead you through it. Now, when we continue through the, the psalm, we get to verse 5. And verse 5 is just interesting because it takes a shift. I don't know if any of you have ever been thrown off by verse 5 before, but I have. Verse 5 says this. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. What David did here is that he switched analogies on us in the middle of the psalm. And this, I've never seen this before until I studied it for this, because I'm just like, I'm down with the shepherd. As soon as he starts at like a table and oil and in front of his enemies, I'm like, I don't know, what does that have to do with sheep? What does that have to do with shepherds? Like, I... What is this doing here? And what, what David had done is that he's like, all right, I'm going to use the sheep analogy, and then I'm going to switch on us, and I'm going to talk about God as a host. God is the host of a, of a home who prepares a meal, who prepares a banquet for us, who feeds us, who sustains us, who gives us protection and provides us a home. He is a, a host that invites us in relationship with him. And so you need to know as the reader that the context has changed. We're not talking about sheep anymore, but we're actually talking about a home. We're talking about a place where God is preparing a meal. And we're talking about a home or possibly even a castle or a kingdom because David's writing this and he's a king. And he would have experienced this before where enemies would come and surround him and start to encroach on the kingdom that David was ruling. And normally when we find ourselves surrounded and the enemies are coming and they're crawling and they're crouching in and we... We can see them coming. Normally, that's not the good time for a meal, right? Normally, that's not like, hey, let's have Thanksgiving. Let's celebrate. Let's eat. Everything's great. Everything's fine. No, normally, that's a moment of chaos and fear and disorder. And it's like, go ammo up because we're going to defend the homestead. But that's not what happens here. That's not what happens here in the psalm. Instead, David's like, yup. The enemies are surrounding. But guess what? The Lord is our host. The Lord is our fortress. The Lord, and many times throughout the Psalms, is the Lord is my rock. He is my shelter. So David has this imagery of like, we're, we're safe. Our enemies can surround us, and they will. But the Lord will free us, and he will feed us, and he will sustain us. And he will give us a place where we can rest with him and all the days of our lives we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm brought to Exodus. There's this passage in Exodus. God 
<laughs> is freeing the Israelites. Moses is leading them. They get to the Red Sea. Their enemies, the, <laughs> the Egyptians, are coming, and they're surrounding him. And the people, they're not so calm. They're freaking out. They're like, Moses, why did you lead us out here to die? We could have done better making bricks. At least there we had food. At least we weren't going to die to the hands of our enemies. At least we were safe. And Moses is like, shh, shh. And he says this to them. He said to the people, fear not and stand firm and see that the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today, for even the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. And this is where we see how he's talking about shepherds and still waters and lying and being led by him and being submitted to his rule and his leading, even though it's taking you through the valley of the shadow of death, connects with this place of the Lord who is the host, who offers protection because you need to fear not and be still and trust that the Lord will fight on your behalf. He is here and he's ready to do it. The question is, are you here for it? Are you here for it? Are you here for Jesus to be your shepherd? Are you here for him to minister to you? Are you here to trust him as he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death with all of your questions? Are you here for, to be able to go to him with your fist closed and for him to open them up and for him to be able to receive the peace and the goodness and the rest that he has for you? Are you here for it? There's this cultural idiomatic phrase that people have been using that's, I'm here for it. It's like hashtag here for it. It's used really, really like shallowly. But God has used this phrase to like make me more present than I've ever been before. Anytime I step into a circumstance, every time I step into a meeting, every time I change context, the question that I'm asking is, is am, am I here for it? Because what this phrase means is that it means that I am present, I am near, and I am excited, and whatever happens, good or bad, I am here for it completely. And I believe that Jesus is inviting us to come and be here for it. Whatever is happening, whether it's good or bad in our lives, whether it's chaos or whether it's peace, he wants to come and he's like, are you here for it? Are you here for me to be my shepherd? I mean, for me to be your shepherd. Are you here for the path and the plans that I have for you. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, are you here for, for me to use my rod to comfort you and to guide you? Are you here for the peace? Are you here for the banquet that I have for you? Are you going to be present to it? Or are you going to go on your own way? And so some questions for us that I have for us is, what is God calling you to let go of? What do you have in your hands that you are fighting with the Lord about that he's just wanting to pry open and say, let go and let me fill. What is he calling you to let down? To lie down? To say, that burden, that busyness, that performance that you have, that was never, I never intended for you to live that way anyways. You just need to set that down. And then finally, what are you holding on to? What, are you holding on to your stuff? Or are you holding on to his community? Are you holding on to his word? Are you holding on to him as he leads you through the valley of the shadow of death? Are you holding on to him as he creates a banquet for you? What are you holding on to? And are you here for it? Because when we show up to the Father, 
what we find is that he's already been here for it, for you and me. That's what he did on the cross. That's what he does every day. I want you to know that he shows up for you every day. Every day, the question of Jesus is here for it, for you, whether it's good or bad, whether it's full of sin, full of righteousness, know that he is here and he is near and he is ready to lead you and guide you into his peace and his protection and into his salvation. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your psalm. I thank you that you are a good shepherd. And God, I thank you that your plans are higher, your ways are higher, and that we can trust you. But God, that you don't just leave it a mystery, but God, that you come and you teach us. You teach us your paths, you teach us your plans, you teach us your ways. We become your students. God, I pray that you would continue to grow us as you lead us from <coughs> plane to plane. As you lead us through the valleys of the shadow of the death moments in our lives, God, God, I pray that you'd give us the faith. And I pray that you'd give us the courage to trust that you are near, that you are here, and that you are with us. And God, I pray that we would lie down in places where you're calling us to lie down. I pray that we would get up and that we'd follow in the places that you're calling us to get up and follow. I pray that you would teach us how to hear your voice and respond to you, who is the good shepherd. Lord, we praise you for your character is so good and your love is so great. In your name we pray, amen.